Welcome to the Platform Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi wright founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy habits. I know how hard that can be because I've struggled and succeeded to varying degrees throughout my life, but I've lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for over a decade now. The key for me was discovering my passion for lifting weights and kettlebell sport. On this podcast, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, experts, and everyday people about kettlebells, fitness programming, nutrition, mindset, making an impact, and generally striving to grow and leave a legacy of positive change. Please join me. Welcome into this episode of the Platform Podcast. I am really excited to bring on my guest today is Solomon Roskin. He is the Israeli kettlebell sport champion, and he is a kettlebell sport coach and athlete. Solomon, thank you so much for coming in, man. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast and talking to you about kettlebells and uh, kettlebell sports. It's really cool. You know, this is a very... uh, you could say small community sports sort of niched. Many people don't even know that it exists. And uh, it's a good opportunity to talk about it. Well, we're going to change that, man. We're going to, we're going to make it, we're going to make it at least, at least a, a moderate size community. Hopefully. <laughs> I, I want it, I want it, to, I want it to grow. That's, that's really, that's really my mission here is to, uh, is to grow kettlebell sport here in the, in the U S and just grow kettlebells in general. But uh, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to, to talk to you about it today. So let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up at and where do you live? Give people who, who aren't familiar with Israel a, a little idea of where you live and and where you grew up and kind of what your athletic background was as a kid okay so ah well it's a really uh, integral story so i was born in ukraine lugansk and currently lugansk is not even part of ukraine uh that whole strip called lugansk and donetsk they're in a civil war with ukraine so uh, i was born there but currently i can't even visit luckily my whole family moved to kiev and uh, most of them are also here in Israel, so I don't have to worry about their safety. We immigrated from Ukraine to Israel in 2001. And uh, me and my family have been living here, so I'm fully immigrated, um, fully immersed in the Israeli culture, you could say I'm somewhere in between, because I speak Russian and uh, I speak Hebrew. And culturally, you could say I'm sort of a mix. And uh, about uh, my uh, athletic background, so when when we immigrated, um, my parents divorced, and I was mostly alone. Uh, you know, alone at home. So the only thing I could make uh, myself, you know, the only thing I could prepare myself for. Uh, uh, schnitzels or anything I could put in a microwave, heat it up, and then eat. So most of it was, you know, uh, things like breads or pizzas, stuff like that. And uh, I gained some weight. As, you know, uh, an immigrant, uh, a new immigrant, and uh, being a little bit overweight, it's not, you know, you don't gain popularity with the kids that way. 
Yeah, kids and, are uh, kids are cruel, especially to the chubby new kid who immigrated from a different country. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it kind of took me a while, you know, to uh, get a handle of uh, how to behave, how to talk with people, because it's all it was all different, even though I was living there for a few years still. Um, did you get in fights? Did you get in fights as a kid? Oh man, all the time, yo. It was amazing, you know. In in your in Ukraine, even before that, in Ukraine, when before we immigrated, you know, kids would tell me, um, I don't even remember this. My mom told me this that they, they were laughing about me being Jewish, or laughing about uh, my name because my name is Solomon. It's a Jewish name, and it's funny because I'm not even named Jewish, after a king. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's funny because I'm not even Jewish. My grandfather is Jewish on my father's side. And um, in Judaism, you're Jewish if your mother is Jewish. So I'm only partially Jewish. Huh. So it's a crazy mix. It's a crazy mix, man. So, uh, you know, to, to the Ukrainian Russian world, I'll be considered Jewish. But here in Israel, um, you know, uh, religiously speaking, uh, technically speaking, I would not be considered Jewish. Yeah, Judaism is really is really interesting in that it's it's both a religion and an ethnicity, right? It's both an mm -hmm. ethnic identity and a religious mm -hmm. identity, and people can convert to Judaism, the the, the religion, but they'll there's they still wouldn't be considered a Jew by by mm -hmm. ethnicity, right? And it's like, and I, I imagine the dynamics of that in Israel are very uh, are very strong because you know obviously there's the heritage there of of people who were born. Who were born Jewish, so I'm I'm curious about I'm curious about that. How is that dynamic there? It's very difficult, like you said. You know, you could um, you could make giur, which means uh, convert to Judaism, but there are different um, uh, streams in Judaism, and uh, they don't accept each other. There are different uh, uh, different streams, like Hasidim or the or um, or you know the liberal ones, the different ones. Yeah. Uh, those what are we more... would call what we would call denominations here in, in in the United States for Christianity. We call it denominations of Christianity, right? The different the different yeah, sects yeah. of of Judaism. Yeah, exactly. Some are more strict. Some are more uh, eased up. Some you know go to the military and they serve. Some say that they don't want to and they go to. Uh, yeshivas, those are uh, religious uh, meetings where they uh, learn the Torah, and that's basically what they do. So it's a very, very complex uh, topic. Even if you make the Giyur, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be ac accepted by everyone. And also it depends on from which country you come from, because you have Ashkenazi Jews, you have uh, Sephardim, um, and they have different traditions as well. Interesting. Yeah. How was how was it coming from how was it coming from a former Soviet bloc country? Is that was that generally a, a accepted or was it or was it kind of shunned? It was shunned. Yeah. So my mom wouldn't call me Solomon in the street. She would call me Sasha or something like that or Alex. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it was um, you know it was in the nineties, so I suppose people were a little bit more close-minded. Um, it might have changed, but I haven't been there for so long. And kids would and kids would make fun of you, and and you would punch them. Yeah, we would, yeah, we would fight. You know, it's it's not necessarily you know it's not necessarily that um, 
I'm not sure if they, if you could say that they were blatantly racist or something because they're kids. They're just, you know, kids are stupid. Yeah. They don't really understand. If you were fat or if you were ginger, they would make fun of you anyway. So you give them a reason and they'll laugh about it. Uh, as a as a chubby kid, I, I am very aware of that. <laughs> I, I had the same experience. I got I got made I got made fun of for being for being chubby quite quite a bit. Uh, I got in some fights, but not mm -hmm. uh, not a ton. But I, I also didn't I didn't have the cultural dynamics that, that you did. I was in a I was in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, that uh, mm -hmm. I blended right in with the with the mainstream population. So that was that was not a problem. But uh, yeah, I was still chubby, so <laughs> I definitely got in a few fights myself for being a fat kid. See, yeah, they, they um, you know, it's that age. They, you give them a reason, and they'll, um, they'll find, they'll find their own reason of why they don't like you because everyone wants to be cool and everyone wants to be in a group and popular and stuff like that. You know, divide and conquer sort of thinking. Like uh, there's you and you, there's them and there's us. Yeah, but that's okay, you know, like. Uh, I'm past that, and uh, to this day, like nobody tells me anything about me being from Ukraine or me, me not being Jewish, so it's really not a problem. Like I haven't experienced any problems with that uh, for four years now. Well, that's excellent. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the, that regard, everything's okay. But you know, uh, but but then when I immigrated, you know, when when I was still young, I still had these problems, and I had these identity issues where. I, you know, I know Russian, but I'm not fluent in it. I have some grammar issues and stuff like that. And um, and I spoke Hebrew, so I was sort of in the mix. And then I was uh, overweight. So uh, all through school, you know, um, uh, uh, middle school and everything else, and up until high school, I was uh, overweight and until up until I visited my dad back in Ukraine and he told me, uh, oh, Listen, okay, you have to start doing something and um, uh, do something for your health. And that, that's basically what put me on uh, the path of fitness. Like I enrolled into this uh, capoeira class. <laughs> and, um, and then I so, continued. Uh, what, what class? I didn't, I didn't catch that. Uh, oh, you, you know this class, the capoeira. Capoeira. Well, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a Brazilian. Um, the dance, martial... the dance fighting, the dance, like yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. The dance fighting. The Brazilian the, martial Brazilian... art, capoeira. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't. I didn't trust. I didn't trust that my brain registered the the, the, the <laughs> word right and that I remembered correctly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, actually, that capoeira really helped me develop flexibility and uh, endurance. You know, in that regard, I wouldn't say that it's very martial. Or uh, you know that you can defend yourself using it. It depends on what. Well, especially you know, not compared what, to Krav Maga. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. But you know, some some guys they swear by uh, capoeira, and they say that uh, they practice something that's a lot more defensive and aggressive. So apparently there are different types of capoeira as well. But I'm not very familiar with them. But anyway, you know, this uh, this started me on the path of uh, fitness and health, and that's how I basically began training and lost weight. Um, and uh, when I started high school, I, I, I was finally, you know, a, a normal weight and um, I kept training uh, even after high school. Um, here in Israel, we have to 
um, go to military. So basically, it's a mandatory service. Yeah, you have, you have compulsory do. military service. How many years is it? Well, it used to be three for men and two for women, two years uh, for women. Uh, but I hear they changed it so it now so now it's something like uh, two years and eight months for men and uh, two years and four months for women something like that yeah uh, but I served three yeah and it was very it was very difficult you know because you're in you're in this military base in the middle of nowhere and uh, you work very long hours and everything else and you have to keep uh, well I wanted to keep training because it was very important for me because you know, I used to be overweight, and I didn't want to go back to um, yeah, my bad habits. You were, afra you were afraid. You were afraid of of digressing back to being out of shape and overweight, right? Yeah, you know, it's something that that follows you all the way to you know through your life. It's something that's it's with you, even though even if you lose that weight and you say you're chill about it and you're cool about it, it's just still something in the back of your mind. Yeah, you you still see the you still see the fat kid sometimes when you look in the mirror. I at least I know I have that experience. There, there. No matter no matter yeah. how lean or strong I get, the you know I, I still I still feel like the chubby kid sometimes. Yeah, it may be. Sometimes it's not even the job chubbiness. Sometimes you know it's uh, body image issues. Or, you know, being worried or afraid of how people uh, look at you or how they see you. Being afraid of your, your own proportions. Oh, my hands aren't big enough, or but my legs are uh, large. You know, for myself, I could say, for instance, like my quads are somewhat developed, and but they've always been that. You know, through kettlebell sport and kettlebell training, they've grown even more because it's all leg based. Um, you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you're doing it right. But my arms have, you know, my. I, my my coach has very developed uh, uh, biceps, but uh, for me, it's like my arms have never been. Your so coach much is developed. fucking nuts. Let's just let me just put that out there. Your coach <laughs> is insane. Like, I would love I would love to get him on the podcast uh, because he does all sorts of crazy shit. He does the balance push ups. He does the iron bending. He does crazy kettlebell juggling. He does the kettlebell sport, obviously, right? Like he does he does all sorts. He does all sorts. I mean, he's a he's a machine. He's in incredible shape. Uh, just, yeah. He, I watch his I watch some of his videos that he posts and i'm like i'm like why w what compels a person to even try that shit like he's doing, <laughs> he's doing push-ups where he's like got the the hand like rings on top of beer bottles <laughs> like, it's like yeah, what, yeah. Did you, how did you even think about this like yeah, sorry that's just a i know that's an it's aside insane. but your your coach is your coach is a little crazy but it's, it's awesome yeah it's totally awesome like you mean you mean michael Mikhail Sichkin. yes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I used, I'll get to it. Like I used to train with Mikhail and now I'm training with uh, Ivan Marko. Oh, okay. I didn't know you were with Ivan now. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain how the tr transition happened. And yeah, else. yeah, please. Uh, so, you know, I, so it was very important for me throughout this whole period in you know, high school and military to keep, uh, to keep myself fit because I didn't want to regress back into being a fat kid. <laughs> and um, I had this you know, I had this period in, in my life where I wasn't sure about what I wanted to do. Like I try, I tried a few different professions, and um, before I became a coach, I went into bookkeeping. So I did accounting for a little while, but I hated it so much, man. And, you know, I hated. <laughs> oh wow, I, I hated it so much. I, I lasted three months, and I couldn't do it more. Like I, I, 
you know, any excuse I could find to get out of office, you know, just go for a stroll, go make myself a coffee or a tea or whatever, I, I would take it and I would uh, go for a stroll because I really, I couldn't, um, I couldn't do it. And, um, and so I, I went through these uh, different professions and, um, and uh, one of my friends suggested that maybe you should, because you're so into sports and fitness, so maybe you should do uh, the instructor's course. So we, um, so you, you can't coach people here in Israel unless you, unless you have a instructor's course, physical instructor's course. And I decided that, okay, maybe I should do that. And um, I finished it and, and started coaching. I tried a few things as well. There was, um, there was a period where I did some powerlifting and one of my friends was a weightlifter. So he, he taught me a little bit about Olympic weightlifting. I also did um, classical boxing, Muay Thai and Krav Maga as well, by the way. Nice. Um, yeah, for, for a small while. I did uh, classical boxing for, for something like two years, but then, but then I um, came across cowbells. So this is how I met Michael. Um, so I went to Michael's uh, kettlebell workshop where he taught us different exercise and technique. And, you know, I was so fascinated by this way. You know, we had this at the gym. It, kettlebells are so popular now. You have them in every gym. You have these different brands. Not, not all of them are competition, not even uh, the hard style kettlebells. You have uh, these different weird looking ones. And... Um, we, we actually had competition kettlebells at our, at our gym where I worked. And it was, so I knew they existed, but I didn't know how to use them besides doing a few swings here and there. Um, but after Michael's workshop, I was so excited about kettlebells. You know, I went on the internet and searched everything I could about it. And, um, and uh, this led me to a few different avenues as well. And um, this, uh, so I, I tried, I tried kettlebells for about a year, still not on any specific regime or training program or anything else. So I just did a few juggling, uh, a, few, a little bit kettlebell juggling, other exercises. And um, here in Israel, we have something that's called uh, Hanukkah games. So basically it's a kettlebell sport competition that allows new athletes to come in and try their strength, you know, to try and compete in a kettlebell sport. Uh, usually the weights are much easier, so you can, uh, so so you don't have to compete straight with 24 kilograms. You can try 16, you can try 12 or 10, and and, uh, and see how you fare. Nice. So yeah, so it's it was it was great. So I did um, so I did snatch for 10 minutes, multi hand switch um, with 16 kilograms. And I did something like uh, 210 reps. Um, so that was, yeah, that was pretty good for for first time, and um, that was actually my first ever competition because you know as a overweight shy kid, uh, an immigrant, like I never competed in, in school. Like whenever we had you know football or, in, or soccer, whenever we played soccer, I would not participate because I I felt you know out of place, and. Uh, this was special for me to finally, you know, be a little bit more competitive and a little bit more assertive and do something. And I was very excited about this opportunity. 
then Michael came up to me and, and told me, okay, well, now let's talk about your sports career. And <laughs> that's basically how it began, <laughs> just like that. Yeah, yeah, he already, he already invited me once to his gym and I did want to come, but, you know, I, it, was, it wasn't in, in Giva time or Tel Aviv where I lived. Well, close by, I was a little bit far off and it was a, a little... You know, in American stands, it's not, it's not that much of a drive. Maybe it's like 30 minutes. That's not really much. I hear people drive a lot more to work, even in four hours. Yeah, yeah, de yeah, yeah, yeah depending on what city you live in, for sure. It's it's not uncommon to have an hour commute. That's actually the average, I think, in the U.S. is, is an hour commute, although it's changing now uh, with everybody mm. working from home. But uh, yeah. But I can understand yeah. that's, the, you know, relative relative to, to Israel, that's, uh, which is, a you know, relatively small country. That's that's a fairly exactly. sizable drive, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like we're a little bit spoiled in that regard here that we, we want everything, you know, close by. And, you know, it's comfortable that way. So uh, half an hour here and there, it, it adds up into an hour. So and only your workout is about an hour or, half, or an hour and a half. So, you know, two and a half hours is... Uh, considerable amount of time, but anyway, so I, I finally uh, decided that I wanted to join this gym and begin training in Calibo Sports, uh, which, which has basically led me on the path of, uh, you know, competing and training and coaching uh, Calibo Sport, and I'm so thankful for this opportunity, and, you know, um, what, so what year, what year was it that you, that you started actually training specifically for kettlebell sport competitions how, how long ago was that um to tell the truth it wasn't that long ago uh, i think it was 2018 2018 okay. yeah yeah nice so from so from relative novice to israeli champion in two years time that's uh that's that's pretty impressive uh, yeah, you know, I, I was a little bit obsessed about kettlebells, like every time, you know, whenever I had uh, spare time, I would practice technique, I would watch videos or look up stuff or, um, you know, Michael would give me advice and I would listen to him and try to implement it um, because I had this mindset of, okay, my coach tells me to do this thing, I will focus and do it. Um it's it's a you know it's a matter of self-discipline. Uh, well, the kettlebell sport community here in Israel is very small. Um, to tell the truth, so it's not very difficult to become a champion here. Uh, which is why I'm also very happy to have competed uh, internationally for the uh, WKSF uh, online cup. And I wish it was uh, you know in Spain, but due to COVID, it got cancelled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, like like in the beginning of our conversation, like where we talked about, you know, promoting the sport, I so I fell in love with the sport. It gave me something that other modalities, you know, other lifting modalities couldn't give me. And uh, yeah, let's really, let's talk let's talk about that mm -hmm. a little bit because because you and I actually have have sim a somewhat similar background as far as the the dabbling in a lot of uh, in a lot of different disciplines I you know I was pretty serious about about weightlifting and for for a while but you know what what is it that you think are are the the biggest differences that the kettlebell modality gives you that 
other modalities do not. What what are those what are those things? What do you think the, the big selling points are? Yeah, you know, well, I mentioned boxing and I mentioned powerlifting as well. I, uh, and I came from an athletic background, so I did capoeira, I did somersaults, I did all these kind of, you know, flips and stuff. Um, there was there was a time where you know I wanted to look better, so I trained for for aesthetics and uh, some strength. And uh, then when I went back to into boxing, into classical boxing, I felt stiffer, so I wasn't you know as agile as uh, as fast as I wanted because in boxing you have to react quickly, um, your punches have to be explosive, you have to be nimble. And uh, when I started training with kettlebells, it had this mixture of both strength and endurance and dynamics, which uh, in my eyes was the missing component. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, definitely, it definitely translates. And the parallels between boxing uh, and any, any martial sport in particular and, and kettlebell sport, I think, makes uh, are, are great because you know, the, the thing that I, that I always uh, think about is boxing is, is about managing output in the same way that kettlebell sport is about managing output. You need to be explosive, but in very brief periods, and you need to be smooth, and you need to be nimble, but you also can't just come out and throw bombs all the time or you're going to gas out. You know, very, exactly. very similar to how kettlebell sport is, where it's about managing tension and relaxation, pacing yourself, bouts of explosive movement, uh, followed by relaxation and energy conservation. Exactly, yes. Um, so, and not to say that I didn't gain strength or build muscle and all, and all that stuff, because it, it did, it did help me do all that and strength you know strength wise i <coughs> squatted and deadlifted so much more than i ever have um before um i broke a few personal records um you know pressing overhead as well so it really contributed to many different uh, physical aspects and um now, with it, when I talk about kettlebell sport, and I, I really want to promote this sport online and in Israel as well to get more people involved, because I believe it can help. Um, also, it can also help many people, especially now in, the, uh, you know, during COVID, because many of us are stuck at home, and we're looking for solutions. Yeah, absolutely. We're de we're designed for this. You know, we've already we, we're used to we're used to working out alone in our basements or in our garages or in our closets. <laughs> yeah. We've been we've been doing this we've been doing this for uh, for a while already. <laughs> exactly. Same same. Um. <laughs> so. Uh. So whenever I post about uh, yeah, so this leads me to another topic. You know, whenever I post about caliber sport and I show. For example, uh, how I do long cycle. Many people ask me about uh, the uh, back arch, you know, the back bend we do. In... Doesn't that hurt your back? Doesn't yeah, doesn't that? Back. Yeah, they always ask me, doesn't that hurt your back? And uh, this is, you know, this is some of those things that I want you to dispel because this is really a unique sport that can give you strength, it can give you flexibility, it can give you endurance. It's a sport that has uh, sub maximal weights, so the risk of injury. Well, at least from what I've asked, uh, you know, from the people I've asked and uh, from what I see, it's lower. The, the risk of injury is a little bit lower. You can 
you can still have overuse injuries, which happens in everything in every sport that you do. But that's just a matter of, you know, mag- managing tension and uh, managing recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, uh, it's funny because my, my, I get that question sometimes as well. And a lot of times uh, my, my response uh, surprises people um, because they're, they're like, oh, you know, doesn't that hurt your back? How do you not have a bad back? I was like, no, I had a bad back before I started doing kettlebells. Uh, (laughs) You know, herniated discs ended my American football uh, career in college. You know, I herniated two two discs in my lumbar region, you know, and if it wasn't for getting into kettlebell training as as I got older, I would not have nearly as strong and healthy of a back as I, as I have now, I still have to be careful and manage my load, but I certainly mm-hmm. hurt my, hurt my back a lot more doing powerlifting uh, than I ever did doing kettlebells because like you said, mm-hmm. submax submaximal loads, obviously, you know, when you're squatting 500 pounds, the shearing force and the stability required, um, you know, if you have one bad rep, you can get into very powerful shearing force very, very quickly. Well, if I'm doing long cycle with two 24 kilo kettlebells, my maximal load there is, you know, what, 100 and 116 pounds or, you know, 106 mm-hmm. pounds. Um, you know, that's, that's, an order of magnitude uh, less on the, on the force, you know, that's being applied to the body, you know? So uh, Mm -hmm. that's, that's why the injury risk is, is so much lower. And people are are always surprised to to hear that they, they assume that flexion and extension of the spine is, is going to increase your risk of injury, but it's really, you have to be cognizant of the force that's being applied in those ranges of motion. And, the spine is designed to move. Our bodies are designed to move. So, you know, I think you had, you, you made the point on a post earlier this week where you're, you're showing this is normal. It's normal to be able to round your back. You, you're supposed to be able to round your back. We're not supposed to stay in that position, but you're Mm -hmm. supposed to be able to round your back and extend your back and flex and twist and all of those things. Right. And that's that's actually mm-hmm. why I think kettlebell sport helps people with their back is because you are required to move your spine through the ranges of motion that it is designed to be able to move through. Right. Exactly. So it's 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 all about progressive, progressive uh, application of those movements. So, yeah, it might hurt if, if, somebody, <laughs> if somebody came to you and you're like, you know, oh, what do you do? Oh, I, I'm I'm an accountant, for example. And I sit at a desk for, for eight hours a day and then you're like, OK, here you go. Here's two 24 kilo kettlebells. Let's let's do jerks. Well, yeah, then they might hurt their back because they're not they're not prepped for that. But you're not going to do that. Yeah. you're you're smarter than that we're not going to we're not going to just start them at at competition weight Mm -hmm. it's going to be progressive overload of of those of those principles right exactly it's it's a matter of exercise being appropriate for the person and um they have to match their goals as well and there are some exercises that are inappropriate you know even even those uh most popular exercises like the deadlift and the squat they're not necessarily good for everyone. There are some people who, uh, you know, could uh, pr- potentially hurt their knees or their backs, you know, because of issues that they might have had uh, before attempting those exercises. And it's not that these exercises are bad. It's just they're not appropriate for that moment, for that person. And this is something I think that we need to change, you know, in general in, in the fitness space because 
especially see this with new coaches that think that everything has to be straight. Your back has to be neutral. This has to be neutral. That has to be retracted. The uh, shoulders pull down. Ta -ta -ta -ta. And uh, like, as you've mentioned, like our spine is, or in our bodies are, uh, they're designed to move in all these different directions. And uh, especially in sports, you see uh, this, that athletes move in different directions. I had this, um, argument actually on Instagram with a person who uh, I, I sadly was into kickboxing so and he told me about how dangerous the backbend and killable sport is so well first of all of course they tried to explain them uh, the weight distribution thing that basically the weight is distributed in evenly on on the waist it's supported by the waist and the legs so lower back at the moment is not active um, now, never mind that, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that a person who is um, fighting, you know, actual kickboxing is pretty brutal. It's like, it's like Muay Thai without, um, without elbows and, uh, and knees. <laughs> yeah. If, if you've ever seen a match, it's pretty brutal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and their bodies move in all different directions and the shock that they absorb and the, and the kicks and the heat hits and everything else. So I, I thought it was kind of weird that he thought that that was healthy because he talked to me about health. But, you know, if, <laughs> if I have proper technique, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he talked to me about health. <laughs> this is not a, this is not healthy. Yeah, neither is getting kicked in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was so surprised. I was so surprised. The firewood came up to me and started talking to me about backbend and health. Okay, man. No, classical boxing, you know, you have, you, you've seen classical boxing uh, um, pose, right? So their upper back is bent, the thoracic yeah. spine flexed. So they're sort of like this crouch. El they, they keep their elbows in. Shoulder. I mean, we, I yeah, actually, I actually, I actually, I actually do that as part of our warm up, where we, we put, we cover up like we're on the ropes, right? When mm -hmm. you're lean, I call it the rope a dope, like Ali used to do. We cover up, put our elbows mm -hmm. basically in rack position, but with our hands up in front of our face, lean back, go side to side, and we're just working on being able to warm up our spine, right? Because mm, that's so cool. You know, it's a position that you're going to be in, but it's, it's absolutely a position boxers are in frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, you mentioned something else about um, a few videos I posted, the squats and stuff like that, that uh, uh, interesting, you know, interestingly enough, you mentioned the valgus and the knee caving. And again, it's like my friend, first of all, I don't see what you're talking about. And second of all, you know, in classical boxing, you, you do knee caving on purpose. You like you have the yep. stance where you cave in your knees on purpose so that you will be nimble and flexible. You know that you move side to side and change directions. So again, um, I'm referring to this argument of you know what, what is natural movement? You know what is appropriate movement? What is inappropriate movement? Like people are afraid of deadlifting, but then they break their backs lifting a box or you know lifting their children up from the floor. So I find that a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's, and it, the thing that drives me crazy, I think that the thing that the, the underlying theme that I see that, that kind of connects all of these things that, that, and it ends up bothering me is people of, of varying degrees, they, they, they clamp onto one idea and think that that's the truth. So they're like, oh, you got to keep your spine neutral. 
right? And that, that's the thing, like, oh, to keep people safe, you got to keep their spine neutral, or you have to control your tension, or it's like, well, no, there's there's more than one way to think about things, and there is no one right way to move. Like, it's all, you, you have to be able to move and express your athleticism in different ways to be a truly good athlete. Like, if all you can do is one movement in one plane, well, then what's going to happen when your body is asked to move outside of that plane, right? Or asked exactly. to move in a, in a different way. Well, then you're setting yourself up for injury. You know, that's that's when you get hurt, right? It's the the old Chinese saying, you know, that uh, bam, bamboo bamboo is, is stronger than oak because oak, bre- oak breaks when the wind blows hard, right? Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> the ability, the ability to, to flex and move when outside forces are applied and, and absorb them without breaking is, is very important, right? The, the rigidity is, is a problem. And this whole concept of neutral spine, like people, a lot of people don't even understand that neutral is a range, right? It's not, it's not a fixed thing. You're not going to be able to, to lock your spine in. Your spine exactly. doesn't lock. It's a mm-hmm. bunch, it's a bunch of interconnected articulating joints. Like it's designed to, to flex to varying degrees, depending on what region of the spine you're talking about. Right. Yes. But it is designed to flex and rotate and, and stabilize. Right. Like, exactly. You have to, you have to understand all of the functions of the anatomy that are supposed to be expressed and you can't focus on just one of them or you're, you're doing your athlete a disservice. You're doing yourself a disservice. And if you get too dogmatic in your thinking, um, you're you're missing you're missing the opportunity to grow into a into a more complete holistic understanding of, of human movement. Exactly. This is why I think it's the point. Whenever you, somebody raises an argument, he has to be able to articulate that argument. If you give the reasons for that argument, you know, just throwing out uh, these. Uh, phrases so backbend or equals bad it doesn't mean anything so okay why is it banned why is it bad um what, what if no, the i saw it on Insta- i saw it on instagram and a guy mm-hmm. that said it was a doctor said it was bad oh <laughs> uh, yeah 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 great well doctors say whatever they uh you know whatever whatever they want without any consideration to if you're an athlete or what you do in your life or you know maybe just one doesn't want to bother himself with this and doesn't want to take responsibility like i went to doctors before and it's not that they gave me any better solutions they just told me oh, okay then just stop doing what you're doing go well, swim and they have a scope of practice and a scope of training and a lens through which they view everything as well right they're exactly you know so so they're not necessarily the best person like i'm not going to go talk to a doctor about my nutrition because i know plenty of doctors one of my roommates from college is a doctor and he got literally one one semester of nutrition training i have more nutrition training than he has he comes to me for advice on how to manage his nutrition you know and he's a doctor but people would people would assume that oh if if i'm giving him advice and and somebody else is giving advice they would listen to the doctor and that's not i don't blame people for that but you have to understand scope of training and scope of practice right and i wouldn't give i wouldn't prescribe nutrition as a treatment for an issue right but i when Mm -hmm. it comes to sports performance i can certainly i can certainly help you perform and you want to change your body composition i can help with that too but you know if you've got if you've got uh another thing going on i'm going to refer you to my friend the doctor if if i think you have you know uh, cancer <laughs> you know everybody has scope of practice and and scope of expertise it's uh i don't know it's it it, it seems fascinating to me that uh people can't seem to understand and differentiate um 
good information from bad information? I think it's easier to think in those terms. It's easier to think in black and white. It's easier to refer to a person who you idealize or who you consider as an authority figure instead of you know um, relying on your own thought process and trying to come at the truth. Um, You're right, actually. And, and human, human beings by evolution and nature are intellectually lazy because we need to be. Because could you imagine like if you had to think hard about uh, about how to you had to think hard about how to how to take a shower every time you did it uh you, you would you would burn out so our brain naturally looks for shortcuts and the idea of hey doctors doctors are smart they know about the body so they're the experts that's a simple intellectual hack but it's uh it's <laughs> it's not accurate un unfortunately they know about their scope of they know about their scope and and area of training but not necessarily everything that's true that's true um so, um, have you, have I, you encountered, have you encountered a lot of, a lot of people who are, uh, hard style, um, challenging you online, a lot of the, the hard style kettlebell people, have you run into, have you run into a lot of, a lot of people challenging you online? Yeah. So I just wanted to get to that. Um, so because I post many videos that are kettlebell sports style and I always, and it's funny that I have to. Uh, right, kettlebell sports style, and you know, uh, in in the header always, so that people see, and they don't ask me, oh, why are you doing it like this, or why are you doing it like that, um, and uh, so so yeah, so it happens a lot that people they see what I do and they then ask me, okay, then what, but why do you want to conserve energy? It's because in kettlebell sport you want to relax and you don't want to create tension, and they ask, okay, but why do you want to relief tension or why, why do you swing like that why do you bend your back like that so i understand that this point is you know it's very niche um, most of the information is in russian uh the sport comes from russia and uh you, you have some places that uh translate this information or give this information in english so it's more accessible but it's still it's not as popular as we want it to be there and aren't that many um you know kettlebell sport influencers uh, on Instagram or YouTube that you can refer to. There are a few, but I think we need more exposure. Um, so when talking about the idealization, I actually wanted to uh, mention this as well, that um, many hard style practitioners refer to Pavel uh, Tatsulin as, as this authority figure and um, actually, I haven't read his books. Like, I know who the person is. I've seen the video with Joe Rogan. Uh, he sounds like an intelligent person. And um, and hard style, I believe, it's is is another mo uh, lifting modality using kettlebells, which is fine and dandy by me. And uh, I don't see why our two styles have to necessarily conflict. Yeah, that's, and that's that's really the thing that, that drives me crazy in, in, on either side. If if because Valeria Federenko is just as guilty of this as uh, as yeah, Pavel, yeah. Uh, because when when Valeri started uh, here in the U.S., he he would say there's one true way to lift a kettlebell, right? There's one right way, there, you know. Yeah. And it, of course, it was his way. Well, Pavel was was saying the same thing, and so of course you you divide people into two camps, and they're saying no, this is the right way to train. Because you want tension and you want strength. Do you want to get strong? 
well, then this is the right way to do it. Strong first, right? That's that's the, now the name of Pavel's certification is strong first, because if you want to get strong, this is the way to do it. And Valeria is saying, no, the, the right way to do it is this, because look, I'm a world champion. I'm a world mm-hmm. record holder. Valeri, you know, of course, is, was, uh, you know, trying to compete for limit, you know, for market share and was, was saying, no, I'm, I'm a world champion. I actually know kettlebells. I, I, I've done this at the highest level. Uh, and uh, Pavel was saying, I'm doing something different, uh, <laughs> you know, but they ended up dividing the, they ended up dividing people into camps and you had a group of people that were like, no, hard style is the, is the, the right way to do it. And you had the other group of people saying, no, kettlebell sport is the way to do it well obviously we know hard style in america hard style is way more popular uh it was really well marketed uh and and people loved the idea that you know pavel marketed himself as as the guy who was like the kettlebell coach to russian spetsnets uh and that that's how it was that's how it was marketed it's like oh he he trains the russian special forces using kettlebells so he must be uh he must be an authority and his there's nothing wrong with uh with the programs that he does and there's nothing wrong with the style um it's just it's interesting that it it got to be so dogmatic because the two sides were both like no i've got the one right way to do it uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of instead of being like no they're both valid approaches so long as you apply them safely and you understand what the goal is because strong first or hard style is going to be superior uh, for developing maximal strength output and and power uh, faster right you'll get but you'll get that benefit from kettlebell sport training as well but it the adaptation won't happen as fast because that's not the intended goal you'll get better cardiovascular endurance and muscular endurance by doing kettlebell sport training you'll still get stronger and you'll probably put on some muscle, but that won't happen as fast as if you were lifting heavier loads for fewer reps and focusing on maximal strength output. You know, that's, that's really all it comes down to, in my opinion, is, is different, different application for different goals is really, is really all it comes down to. And what's your goal? And ultimately what do you want to do and there's nothing wrong with with training in both styles there are times if i've only got 15 15 20 minutes i might i might bang out a hard style circuit just because i want to i want to get a hard workout in in the time that i have right now obviously i i could also just do a 10 minute long cycle set and i'd be plenty crushed <laughs> but <laughs> but if i'm going to do a 10 minute long cycle set i'm going to need to warm up for uh you know at least 20 30 minutes so yeah uh, <laughs> You know, but it's it. it uh, I really find it interesting and and disappointing a little bit that that we can't get more people to understand that there is no right or wrong way to use the kettlebell so long as it's safe uh, and you're moving intelligently. You're going to get benefit from it, and it's really about customizing your approach to what your desired output is. What what is what is the outcome that you want, and then design the program from there. Exactly. Like you've said, it's marketing, and uh, I've mentioned this before, and I really think that it all comes down to divide and conquer. So you have these two camps, allegedly one is better than the other, when in, in fact, I think it's not true, and you, also, and you will agree with me. Kettlebell sport has different goals, uh, different physical adaptations, but so does hard style. I had... Uh, I had coaches from kettlebell sport also message me saying, why do I even compare hard style with kettlebell sport? 
I had uh, one of those posts that I made with uh, an infographic comparing the two modalities. And they, they told me that uh, it's not even worthy of uh, mention. And uh, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think that's the case. You know, that's the exact same thinking that uh, I get from the other camp. So why, um, so why do I get this from you know, Killable Sport? Yeah, we um, don't want to even acknowledge that it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't. I think, and it's, and I think most of the com community doesn't. And uh, most of them do understand that you can train either which and you just do whatever you like. And, and it's to me to me it's silly because especially like especially in America I can say if if you don't want to acknowledge that most of that most people are only familiar with hard style training you're not going to get nearly as many people into kettlebell sport if that's your desired outcome mm -hmm. is to grow kettlebell sport um, exactly you're not gonna you're not gonna get nearly as many people into kettlebell sport if you don't even acknowledge that their entry point into kettlebells as a as a modality has been hard style. And that's, that's really where most people, I, I can like 95% of the people that I've talked to that, that do kettlebell sport that are American started in hard style, or at least were introduced to kettlebells from hard style because they weren't even aware that kettlebell sport was a thing. And if, if you're not going to acknowledge that and meet people where they're at, you're going to turn off a lot of people and you're going to miss a lot of people. Exactly. And you know, it's not that I'm trying to sell, sell people on a certain point or coaching or anything else no it's, it's that's not my goal like i do this because it's my passion and and i like working with people who share their passion um the, the point is that this is something that is constantly asked about on the internet it's, so i think it's worthy of mention it's worthy of addressing because people ask these questions and they want to know okay so what what's the difference okay i want to look good i want to build muscle i want to lose fat no that's usually what people want well, why should I do kettlebell sport? It, it seems really tough. It, oh, the technique is very complex. So why, why, why should I do this? So I think we need to explain. Like we need to explain what, what's the fun of it. You know, what's the, what's the point of it? And um, you know, just uh, just saying that. Oh no, this is the one true way, and that other modality, whatever its name is, uh, isn't any good. That that won't um, that won't persuade anyone. Yeah, you'll get, you'll get, I mean, you'll get some fiercely opposed tribes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it won't get, you know, I'm more of a rising tide floats all boats uh, kind of person. So, uh, mm -hmm. so long as you're for kettlebell, I don't care if you want to do hard style or sport. Um, and honestly, so long as you're, so long as you're trying to improve yourself and you want to get more, more healthy and more fit, I don't care if you want to do powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit, kettlebell sport, hard style, bike riding. I don't give a shit. You tell me what you want to do, and and I'm I'm happy to support you because I want people to be to be healthy and happy and uh you know to to live the life that they want to live. You know if 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 making you if getting punched in the head is what makes you happy, great. Let's <laughs> be a boxer. Uh, cool. Be a boxer, exactly. Yeah. How can That's how cool. can I how can I help you be the best boxer you can be? Right. Like <laughs> I don't I don't uh, I don't understand why people are so are so dogmatic about uh, about the the best way you know i think it i think you nailed it earlier like it's a it's a simplification that's easy for people to to understand and exactly you know it's instead of instead of understanding the framework of you know the, there's the triangle that that i'm working from is there are three there are three points on the triangle that we can we can optimize for performance 
which is like, I want to be the world champion at whatever, or I want to be the best at the best I can be at my particular discipline is at the, is at one peak longevity. I want to live forever, <laughs> you know, or live <laughs> as long as I can is the other peak. And then aesthetics, right? Those three things are kind of the, the opposing ends and you can't optimize for, for more than one at a time. You can optimize to varying degrees within that triangle. And depending on what the goal is, you know, then, then yeah. we can design the program from there. So if you tell me you want to lose body fat, great. Then don't, don't complain to me about how much your performance sucks in your workouts and how hard they are. Because guess what? If you're in a 700 calorie deficit, your performance is going to suffer. Now, if you tell me you want to be the best in the world at kettlebell sport, then don't complain to me that you're too fat because you need caloric surplus to perform, right? It, like there's, you know, and, and if you want to live forever, uh, then probably, you know, taking steroids and whatever to win the CrossFit games isn't your best approach either. And we can cycle between those different, those different priorities, but you can't optimize for all three at the same time. And that's the, I think that's the thing that, that people seem to miss out on is they're like, well, I want to look good naked. I want to perform well and I want to be shredded. It's like, okay, those are three opposing goals, <laughs> right? Like, so, so tell me which of, which of those is the most, the highest priority right now, <laughs> because we can, we can design for the, for the program for one of those three and the other ones will, will be less of a priority. Exactly. That's right. Um, another point to, you know, to take across is the body adapts to whatever you throw at it. So you've mentioned this earlier of the triangle, the performance or in longevity or aesthetics. So it basically adapts to whatever you throw at it. You can be the best at everything. When it comes to, um, you know, kettlebell sport and uh, strong first, or even, you know, um, powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, um, I, think, um, I think that each modality, each lifting modality can help one another. But at the end, the skills that you develop and the, uh, the physical adaptations that your body goes through will uh, narrow his uh, narrow the, the performance of the body in one specific um, area. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah. There's 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 GPP and there's SPP, right? There's sport yeah. specific, you know, specific programming, right? That's. Uh, mm -hmm general physical preparedness and specific physical preparedness and skill acquisition and skill uh, is going to come into performance. And at, at a certain point, uh, yeah, of course, kettlebell sport translates really well to a lot of other things. But if you tell me you want to be a great boxer, uh, we can do kettlebell sport as a, uh, a training modality in your off season to improve aerobic capacity and improve anaerobic threshold and, and mm -hmm. your strength. And, but at some point we got to get you back in the ring because motherfuckers are going to try and punch you in the face. <laughs> so yeah. so you need to, you need to practice that skill of hit and don't get hit, you know, cause no matter how much, no matter how much uh, kettlebell sport training you do, uh, if you need to get back in the ring, you need to practice that skill because it's not going to help you not get punched in the face if you're not practicing it. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. Um, and it's not to say that you don't develop strength, you know, because this name uh, strong first uh, indicates that you're developing strength and kettlebell sport is a more of an endurance strength. 
uh, sport, it doesn't mean that necessarily that you won't get stronger. Like I mentioned earlier in the conversation that my squat, my deadlift, my overhead pressing, all these numbers increased and I'm very happy with it. And I'm, I wasn't even training heavy for those lifts, but they um, increased uh, anyway. Um, well, but now you just you just recently transitioned from the 24 kilo competition weight to 32 kilo competition mm, weight, which is yes. um, a little bit insane. I'm not going to lie to you; that is a massive jump, and I'm I'm super <laughs> I'm super impressed. But you but you've also had some very specific thoughts on pacing and time mm -hmm. under tension and what how your mindset shifted when you went up in weight so talk to talk to me a little bit about that uh now that you've now and and tell the tell people what weight class you compete at so they understand what you're working with relative to your body weight okay so last time i competed was 69 kg so that's about 152 pounds now i'm something like 70 kg yeah you know one kilo difference that's not that much and, yeah that's a burrito uh, yeah that's a burrito <laughs> And, uh, and uh, 232 kg, that's 64. Yeah, that's more than so, half of my body so you're, weight. So you're working with just, just below a one-to-one -one ratio of body weight to, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to training weight. Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, I was going to tell you about how I began training with Marco. This is this was actually one of, this was Marco's idea that I would uh, begin uh, training with 232 kg because there was no 28 kg in the Israeli championship. Um, now the Israeli championship has shifted online, so it's an online cup. I was uh, going to compete uh, in long cycle with uh, double 32 kg, and you know because it's a champion, it's a championship. You don't you don't have 28, you have uh, 32. And Marco told me, well, okay, uh, 24s aren't interesting anymore, so let's do 32. <laughs> that was basically it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, that, that, uh, seems, that seems very Russian to me. Hey, oh yeah. 24, 24 is no longer interesting. Let's do 32s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 no kidding. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever you say, coach. Um, <laughs> at first, but you know, so let me tell you about how, you know, the whole adaptation thing and how it went. So, so yeah, you know, if it was, it was anybody else, you know, if I were the coach and I was working with a client, I wouldn't, tell him to jump straight forward to 32 kg unless I was very um, certain in their capabilities, you know, you have to be sure because that's quite a jump. Um, so at first, you know, Marco told me about how he started training with 32 kg and how he had only two months to prepare for a competition that he uh, wanted to participate in because um, like in Russia, they, yeah, they, they either uh, go to the university or go to the army and they wanted to go to a special, um, you, you wanted to apply as an athlete, like uh, as, as a competitive athlete. So we went to, and um, applied for this competition uh, to, to continue to continue training. And uh, basically from, from 24s, he jumped to 32 kg as well. So he did the same thing. But Again, Marco is slightly different frame than you. <laughs> just, yeah, just, just slightly different frame than you. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but but again, Marco is huge. He's his weight class is absolute. It's yeah, 95 yeah. He's, in, he's in my weight. He's in my weight class, and he's a he's a fucking machine. 
He's a fucking machine. That's true. Yeah, he's very impressive. Speaking of uh, muscle, you know, building muscle and all that stuff, he's also very built. He's very tall, and his strength endurance is, uh, you know, out of this chart. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh-huh. he's a freak. Yeah, and uh, you know, so quite a difference because I'm I'm a small frame person. So at first, when they try when I trained with uh, double two thirty two kg. Um, you know, I was excited and it was, uh, you know, was somewhat, uh, I was also worried about, you know, injuring myself just a little bit when I began training with this, but uh, I had this open mindset. I said, okay, well, I will try. I won't think about my pace. I won't think about how many reps I do, you know, because you have this ego thing going on in your back and the back of your head that you say, that, oh, but I want to do my best. I want to perform at my best. But I, but I told myself, no, no, no. Okay. This is very heavy. I have to pay attention. And, um, just uh, try to stay under the belts. That was basically it. Um, it's a very, so, a very patient, very patient approach. That I mean, I see you, uh, you know, on your sets. I'm like, man, he's just sitting in the rack for 30, 40, 50 seconds at a time sometimes because he's just waiting until he's ready to lift the next rep and he's trying to finish the time and I, I know obviously I know how big of a jump that is for you but it's still it, it's it's super impressive to me because just people don't people that don't have never been under the 32s maybe don't understand how hard it is to just sit with that much weight on your frame for that long <laughs> it's not wow. a, it's not an easy thing to do it, it feels as though, as though it crushes you seriously it's like two huge boulders uh like sitting on top of your body and you're just trying to sort of balance it out and you know if you're not flexible enough if you don't know how to distribute the weight it becomes very difficult because then you increase tension in your shoulders you know because if you don't rack them properly on your hips then you're holding them with your shoulders and arms so yeah and i I just need to say public service announcement for anybody that's listening do not try this at home um (laughs) solomon is incredibly flexible and has (laughs) has a very very good technique so his coach his coach knew that he could make the jump without hurting himself i would not recommend an eight kilo jump for anybody without uh, without the the close supervision of of an experienced coach yeah progressive overload totally like don't make the jump just no, learn the technique and uh, progress slowly. You know, like you, you'll get there. You, even, <laughs> do, even, do even as, now. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, even now I can't go past six RPM. If I, I can do like on one minute intervals, six RPM, but then, you know, after that I choke out. It's like, it's very difficult. Um, three, three, three to four I can manage. And like you said, like I, between each rep, I wait like 20 seconds. Um, uh, so, so at first the, the weights felt incredibly heavy. So, you know, everything was heavy, getting under the bells in kettlebell jerk, uh, dropping them back into rack position without <laughs> killing yourself. But as time went by, like now I do feel a lot more comfortable with, uh, the double 32 kg. How have, you, how have you had to uh, adjust your technique? Because you meant, like, you know, as you mentioned, you know, dropping from rack or dropping into rack from overhead. I, I imagine you've had to adjust your technique going from the 24s to the 32s. You, you probably had to adjust technique a little bit in order to absorb that kind of force. Can you talk talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, you, you, you can't make mistakes with heavier weights. You know, those 32s, they, they, have, they have no mercy. And I mentioned this a couple of times because you, you have to be very precise with your technique. Like when I had this instance where, where I uh, was doing kettlebell jerks and I, I did a jerk and dropped it back into right position and I leaned too much uh, away. So I felt a small tweak, you know, in my back. So that's something that, that can happen if you don't properly distribute the weight. Like you, you have to meet the cowbell halfway. So instead of going backwards, you have to meet the cowbell halfway to decrease the amplitude. Meaning, and, meaning, you, meaning you raise yourself, right? Extending exactly. at the ankles, right? You raise yourself up as the bells are coming down to meet them at a higher point and, let, and, and diminish the amount of momentum that they pick up on their way down. Exactly. Sometimes it happens that you want to bring uh, the elbows back into right position and you lean uh, backwards too much instead of meeting the kettlebells halfway and going on the toes, like you've mentioned. And um, th this, this was something that happened to me that I felt, you know, a small tweak in my back and uh, yeah, I was okay and everything was fine, but it's something that bothered me for a few weeks afterwards. Um, now I don't feel anything and it's fine, uh, but um that that was uh, that was a lesson you could say with the 32s <laughs> yeah the 32s were, te were teaching you a lesson <laughs> exactly exactly um also in the kettlebell clean cleans i think think that's the most difficult part like now i can do kettlebell jerks and i can get under the belt uh, under the bells uh well enough but the cleans well that's that's where i expend the most energy um, so when I, when I do the kettlebell cleans, I, I uh, raise my toes again and stop my, stomp my heels. So that's something I don't have to do necessarily with the 24s. I keep my feet planted, mm. but you know, the technique changes according to the weight and according mm. to style and how fatigued you are and everything else. And, um, and, and body frame too, right? Because yeah, body you, frame too. um, for you, for you, raising yourself to meet the bells on on the on the drop of the jerk totally makes sense because you're working at like I said, almost a one to one ratio. For me, the the heart rate response of raising myself up to meet the bells because I'm so much heavier than you is not always worth it. And because I have mm -hmm. more mass on my frame, I can absorb the force of the bells falling easier than you can. So. I don't raise myself up to meet the bells on the jerk with 32s. Now, if I start getting up into 40s or 40 or 48s, then I might need to start doing that, right? Because relative to my frame, now we're now we're getting closer to talking about you know the same type of weight to weight to body weight ratio that you're working with, right? So it's important for people to understand that these technique uh, adjustments are not just about the the, the weight itself. It's also about what the weight represents relative to your frame and relative to your size, right? And everybody's technique might be slightly different. Exactly, that's right. Um, <clears throat> so um, the, those were the few lessons that I learned with the 32 kg. You know, you have to be very precise with what you're doing. You want to decrease the distance between yourself and the kettlebell. You don't want to increase the amplitude. Um, you don't necessarily want to up the RPM or go faster and make uh, more reps. You have to be a lot more patient. And um, the, so this is basically my mindset going into um, long, uh, long cycle of the 232 uh, uh, kg like competition is competition is coming up and 
I'm gonna go up to, on the stage and uh, see if uh, all the all this time has uh, paid off. Like I'm feeling yeah, good. Yeah. What's what's the what's the goal for the competition? Is it just finish the time? Is it or do you have a do you have a number in mind or what what's the goal for the competition? So I do have a number in mind, but realistically, if I just make the time, that's okay. Because yeah, come on, two months to jump eight kilograms, that's a lot, especially yeah, with my thanks. body weight and frame. Um, like I'll let you do like between 30 to 35 reps and I'll be happy. Okay. Yeah. So if I go at about three to 4 PM, I should be able to make it. But again, nice. you know, just, just make the time, you know, just make the time and the reps will come and everything else will come. Like, um, yeah, you have to get accustomed, you know, to get under the belts. You have to build time under the belts and the reps will come. It's yeah, it's a, it's an in, it's an interesting approach, uh, and I, I don't disagree. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I, I just, it's just not an approach that I've I've ever tried, uh, as far mm -hmm. as as far as going this big of a jump and then just going slow um, for a training cycle. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see how it, how it works out. I've been watching. I've been watching. Uh, you know, obviously from a distance. <laughs> I've been watching <laughs> watching your videos and and seeing how you're progressing. And it's it's really really interesting. I've my, my approach has usually been the opposite, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Which is, uh, get, set the pace and get the, and get the reps that you need, um, with as light of a bell as necessary, and then progressively add weight to the bell, uh, mm -hmm. and, and until you can, you know, but you don't move up in the, you don't move up in weight until you can sustain the, the pacing that you, that you need to get the result that you want. So, you might start at a 16 and then move up to an 18 and then move up to a 20. And the goal is always to hit 70 reps in a 10 minute set. Mm -hmm. Right. But you don't move up in weight until you can perform that with the lower weight. Right. And then you do your next training cycle and you know um, you, you have it, that, that approach. So I'm really, I'm really interested to see um, to see how this approach works out for you. And I'm, I'm now I'm, uh, it, it makes me it makes me pause and and say hmm I wonder I wonder if this is an approach I should try and and go heavier um, and and see because <laughs> I'm because I'm crazy like that too or I'm like huh maybe I have two I have two thirty twos sitting uh, in my in my garage just taunting me waiting to be lifted so uh, maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll see what I can do with them. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I like your approach as well. I like the strategy. Like, um, from what I understood, you prescribe RPM to your athletes, right? Yes, yes. Typically, yes. Not not always, um, but but typically, yes. We're working off of we're working off of a off of a set RPM. And right now is a little different. I adjusted my approach because of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. It used to it used to be that with with my athletes, every athlete would get a customized program, like from you know, what their workout is, what weight they're doing and mm -hmm. what movement even they're doing on a given day would be different depending on the athlete and what their goals were. But because nobody is able to see their people and nobody's able to get to their gyms, uh, I asked the team, you know, do you guys want to just have like an open practice where in Zoom, we get together in Zoom, but everybody might be doing different things and you just manage your own time and manage your own clock and, mm -hmm. what, and what have mm -hmm. you. Or would you rather that we're all doing the same movement and doing the same workout, but I will prescribe the RPM so that it's 
it's so that it's custom for what your abilities are and, and you know I'll, mm. I'll prescribe the weight and and the rpms so that it's customized for what your abilities are but everybody's training together and that was what they mm. voted for so so the entire team will get together you know and whoever can join on the zoom meeting we might have eight people on the zoom meeting and we're all doing 10 one minute intervals my pace might be you know 15 rpms and somebody else's pace might be 10 you know and mm. i might be working with the the 20 kilos and they might be working with 12s right it, but we're all doing the same workout together so everybody's working at the same time resting at the same time and we're all then we get that feeling of community and camaraderie because we're all going through the same suffering at the same <laughs> time together <laughs> um, but it's still customized to their ability so that was the that was how i changed the approach a little bit based on the feedback from the team and because you know covid is changing <laughs> changing everything for everybody yeah um, well, I, I really like that approach, and uh, I heard you mention it before on the podcast. I really, I thought it was a very good idea. Um, going into my training, I don't have a prescribed RPM. I have time. Basically, I yeah. work with uh, intervals. I have one minute intervals, longer intervals, you know, um, three, five, or uh, sometimes 10 or 15, depending on the weight. But um, the whole point of the training session is to make the time and find a point at which you are comfortable with the lift and relaxed so Ivan talks to me a lot about relaxation even you know when you snatch where they uh, you've probably heard this before you know um, imagine that the cowbell is a butterfly and you don't want to squeeze it you don't want to crush it uh, but I've never, same... I've actually never heard that before, but I'm absolutely going to steal that because I love it. Oh, okay, okay. So, so it's, it. it's so, so it's basically that you don't want to crush the butterfly at the same time, but at, but at the same time you don't want to, you know, you don't want to get too loose. Yeah, you can't let it go. So you have to be somewhere in between. So, so that's the, that's the same thing with the. Cowboy. I love, I love that. I am totally stealing that. I'm going to use, I'm going to use that in our next, in our next biathlon session. I'm totally using that. Please do, please do, please. Do. I will, I will so, give you, I will give you credit. <laughs> <laughs> love you, man. Um, so basically, going through my training, that's been my mindset this whole time. Like find, um, find a place where I'm comfortable with the cowboy, comfortable with my. Uh, with my lifting, uh, trying to relieve tension wherever I can, pay attention to, to what I'm doing, not necessarily the RPM or how many reps I'm doing. And uh, to tell you the truth, I hate counting. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, do eight RPM. I used to, you know, when I trained with Michael, he prescribed RPM to me and I hated RPM because I had to, I had to count it and I'm like, uh, okay, never mind, just do whatever. I, I actually, I think this is actually a really important, important point to, to touch on though, because that's, that's a great, that's a great point that we don't, I don't think we think about that enough as, as or at least maybe I'm, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I think I need to think about that more for my athletes is what is uh -huh. their preference? What do they like? Because if, if counting gives you anxiety and it makes you, uh -huh. it, it mentally takes you out of your set because you're so focused on counting that you're not present for your technique and you're not relaxing, then I'm doing you a disservice by, by putting you in a position where you're focusing on something that's not helping you perform because there's enough tension and anxiety that goes into uh, kettlebell mm -hmm. sport as is. So um, mm -hmm. I, I actually really, I, I actually really like that thought of it's important to know what your athletes do and don't like from a perspective mm -hmm. of, do they like just focusing on the time and, and their technique or mm -hmm. do they like, uh, having the distraction or, or 
having the the focus because for me i actually like knowing okay every six seconds a rep needs mm. to go up because mm-hmm. it, it it makes me stay in that that rep right okay mm-hmm. six rep locked out 12 rep locked out 18 rep locked out right and just mm-hmm. then i'm doing it one rep at a time and i'm not worried about the 10 minutes or i'm not worried about the five minutes or whatever the duration is because for me if i'm too focused on getting to the end i i i suffer more whereas if i can focus on that rep i'm better at finishing the time but that's just me like like for you it sounds like the counting would would distract you and you wouldn't be as relaxed and you wouldn't be as present right Mm -hmm. so that's that's really interesting and i i have to give you credit because um in our most recent uh you know hypertrophy cycle with my athletes where i was really focused on having people go slower with heavier weights um i did incorporate some sets where we were doing like slow long cycle or slow jerk and we weren't counting reps. We were just doing it for time. And I was, I was telling them to totally focus on finding connection, finding relaxation, finding what feels good and being present in their bodies. And that was because of some of the, the content that, that you had put out and some of the stuff that uh, David Killen, uh, the, the kettlebell, Irish kettlebell move athlete, you know, the kettle. Yeah, yoga, David. Um, so, some of the stuff that David had said as well. So I really, I really put some of that focus out there. And I, I really like that. Uh, I think you can have the balance of, of the two, right? You can have sets that where you're doing RPMs and you can have sets that are, uh, more mind mindfulness approach and more re- relaxation and finish the time and focus on your technique. It's um, sorry. I'm, I'm stream of consciousness right now. I'm just, I'm really, I really mm-hmm. find that approach fascinating. I think, you, you know, as a beginning, as a beginner athlete, you have to start with either which, so either counting reps or doing RPM or just making the time uh, you have to get accustomed to something. I think, you know, you have to begin with something. And then maybe make the transition because you don't, uh, well, at, in the beginning, you can't really know what w- will work best for you. That's something that you find out as you go. And uh, you, you can um, gain benefits from trying both modalities. Um, so not to say that RPM, you know, counting reps is a bad thing or it causes anxiety or distraction. No, not at all. So it's important to know what your RPM is and uh, how many reps do you, how, how many reps you do at what pace should you go and and uh, strategize in advance so that's important at the same time it's important to find the point at which you are comfortable with your lifting and you're focusing on technique on breathing and you're in a flow state you could say yeah absolutely i love i love i love the flow state when everything else drops away and it's just smooth and things are feeling good uh, that's, it's the, that's best. the best. That's that's, mm-hmm. that's the best. That's that's why we do this, right? Is to get those moments of flow, right? So, well, Solomon, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the time. I want I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one more question, um, and then I'm gonna mm-hmm. let you go because I, I we've we've been on for a while, and obviously we could just talk kettlebell sport for hours and hours. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so if you had if you had one if I if I limited you to one piece of advice that you could give to a new lifter that wants to get into kettlebell sport, what would that one piece of advice be? Be patient. Uh, kettlebell sport is like any sport; it has its own intricacies and and its own moments, and you won't figure it out and at the beginning, you won't figure out everything in the beginning. Even if you are already trained and you're, and you know, you're strong, you're muscular and all that stuff. And you're very enthusiastic about your, what you're doing, or, you know, even the opposite. 
you're just starting out and you've never done fitness before. In either case, you have to be patient because there's a lot to learn, many mistakes. And honestly, where's the rush? Because I want results That's... now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reps will come. Uh, I love that. I love that. I think that, I think that is great advice. I think that is fantastic advice. And it's honestly advice that would have helped me as a young lifter because uh, I, I am not a patient person, but uh, kettlebell <laughs> support has, has, has made me more so. Uh, it, it has definitely <laughs> improved my patience because of that. So Yeah, neither thank was you, I. Thank you. Thank you so much, Solomon. I really appreciate it. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, I, I can't wait to see how your, how your meet goes, and I can't wait until we uh, can actually travel the world again, and uh, I, can, I can meet you in person and, and hopefully uh, see you on the platform in person uh, in the not-too-distant future. Oh man, that would be amazing. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I'll be so honored to come visit you and train with you. That would be great. That would be great. I'd love to, I'd love to get to Israel too, because I've never, I've never been and I would, I would love to, I would love to see Israel. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully, come, we'll, come hopefully we can make that happen soon. Sure. Yeah. Come visit us. Come visit us at the Catapult Gym. Awesome. Well, thank you very mm -hmm. much. I hope you have a great rest of your great rest of your day. And thanks for coming on, man. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Have a great day, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Kundi Wright. If you have a question, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, on Twitter at TCKB Club online at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. And please help us grow our reach and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.